Grab a seat. A tuhia ki te rangi, tuhia ki te whenua, tuhia ki te ngāko o ngā tangata katoa, ko te mea nui, ko te aroha ati. Hei, mauri ora, tuatahi ki te kingi o ngā kingi koe hukuraiti, te tumunako o te tangata, te tumunako o te whenua, ko koe te kaihanga o ngā mea katoa, ko koe te atua o ngā atua, ko koe te tumunako o ngā mea katoa, nō reira e pā tenei te miaroa ki a koe. Anei mātou o pononga, e tuku te mihi aroha, e tuku te mihi whakamoemeti atu ki a koe e pā. Tuarua ki te whare, e tū nei me te papa, e takato nei tēnā kōrua, tuatoru ki ngā mate ko whetirangi tia ki te pō, haere, haere, haere atu rā, tuawha, taumai te rire ki rungi te whare kāhui ariki o tira ki a kingi tu heitia, rire, rire, hau, pai mārire. Tuarua. Kia koto katoa, ko taumai nei nei ratu mea roa, kia koto katoa. He nui te honere mōku ki te tūmai mui a koutou, ki te tū i raro i te korowai aroha o te whare nei, te whare tawhito, te whare tuatahi mo te hāhi kei Aotearoa, nō reira he nui te honere, he nui te honere. He mei tēnei hoki ki a koutou, mēnā Mena e noho mai nei etahi o ngā tangata whenua o ngāti whātua o rākei. He mihi aroha ki o koutou, ko koutou te whenua o te... Ko koutou te whenua, ko te whenua, ko koutou, ko koutou te mano o te wahi nei. Nō reira. Kia ora. How's everyone doing? Good. Basically, I just called on heaps of demons and... I've actually had that before. Someone came up to me and said, you know, oh, well, were you calling on? I said, well, mate, if you thought that that's what I was doing in church, you were probably in the wrong church. <laughs> so um, just acknowledge the place where we are. Those that have passed away, acknowledge the, the significance of Ngāti Whātua Orake, uh, acknowledge the significance of this building, of the first church. And um, I am so struck by the significance of this place and I know that for many of you, if this is your home, then um, you, you can probably get used to just, well, this is just where we are and this is just where we gather. But I don't know if I could ever not walk into these buildings and think about God's intention for Aotearoa, walk into this place and think about what God maybe was planning or had in mind, was thinking about for this land and it's moving actually. Coming here and, and, and you know, there's a whole lot of history and story, and I know that there's been some location changes and all of those types of things, but I just, I wanted to acknowledge also um, Apihai Te Kawo, who gifted the land of the space and um, or the significance of what it means to be on gifted land and not stolen land. Significant, significantly different. Um, so in that regard, ka mahuhu ki te rangi te waka, ko maunga, kia, kia te maunga, ko waitemata, te moana, ko tuperire, te tangata, ko ngā oho, ko te tau, ko te uringutu, ngā hapu, ko Ngāti Whātua, te iwi. And that's just the bones of Ngāti Whātua, and I just acknowledge them and that place that they have in this space too. Privileged to be here. I'm a dad. I have two children, Tākiri Kotiato, which means dawn of the new day. And um, Hawaii, uh, which is too complicated to explain. And, um, <clears throat> and so my little boy, Hawaii, is good for my ego. Actually, both of the kids are. Kids are great for your ego, eh? 
you could have a bad day at work, heaps of complaints laid about you or whatever, but you come home and the kids are like, yeah, you're awesome. Get a big smile when I come home. And um, I'm married to Tiata, who is beautiful and is way better than me in life and in looks. Hey, so uh, I'm going to share a few thoughts um, this morning. And the thing is, is that my operating thinking when I come into new spaces is that if you hate it, it's okay because I go home. So don't bother laying a complaint because I'm not here next week. All right? So just move on and hope it gets better the week after. Okay? Cool. I just also want to acknowledge that the stuff that I speak about often brings up um, anxiety, animosity, frustration, whatever it is, because it's old. It's an old story. And it's an old story that we've often been blind to or not willing to see. Kapai. And so then what happens sometimes when it gets brought up is actually illogical emotional responses come out. And I just want to contend with the idea that discomfort is not evidence of the absence of God. Right? Often people go, well, I don't have peace about that. And I go, well, is that just because this is the first time you're in, these, in this situation hearing these things, being confronted by these things? Because if, in my experience, confrontation is the very residence of God. In fact, I think it's in our comfort that we've forgotten to see where God actually is. And so God often is often pulling us back into discomfort so that he can flesh out his will and his purposes inside of a people who have had their will and their imagination broken. Yeah? Cool. I, I had a word um, for this place, and it was really powerfully complex. I just saw a grape. And um, in that grape, the skin had been pulled off, and it was like this. I don't know if you ever did this as a child, but I used to pull the skin off, like bite it off, and then just have like this beautiful, like it was like a lolly, really, eh, without the skin. And um, I had this picture of St. Paul's. And I felt like in the sense that last year, and I think that probably for everyone, right, that the skin was pulled off last year. We were forced to face ourselves, our humanity, by waking up and not leaving the door, by staying inside of that place. And um, I I feel like it was a a time where God was unveiling things inside of people, creating opportunities to go deeper and to have depth. And I felt like God wanted to come as a really beautiful encouragement to this community to say that what God has unveiled in that season is so good. It's beautiful and it's sweet and it's, its foundation is right and it's pure. And, and I, I know that no church is perfect, right? Apart from my own. Just don't read my emails. But other than that, it's, yeah. Anyway, no church is perfect, but I felt like God wanted to honor and acknowledge you that you have a rich core. You have a rich center. You have a rich uh, sense of what God is doing inside of you. And the, the scripture that came to mind is Zechariah 13:9, and it says, I will refine them like silver and test them like gold, and they will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. And I felt like God was actually leaving or pro- providing a, another season to come from which you would call on God's name and feel like the real distinct answer of God before you. And I, I feel like even... For like worship, Chris, I, I think that there's like new songs and new sounds that are coming, that are calling on God. And it's not just going to be like this, uh, you know how sometimes much of our relationship with God can feel like a one-way thing. We're calling and yet we're not really seeing that answer in ways that we're looking for. But I really felt like God would say that you guys are going to see the answer of God in the ways that you're looking for and the ways that you're desiring. And uh, so if I'm wrong, it's okay. But if I'm right, praise God. 
Cool. We live in a prophetic land. Before that, actually, I just want to say this. There's no way that me singing is actually a miracle, by the way. This is the first time ever I woke up. My whole family's been sick, bronchitis, everything. I woke up this morning and tried to sing, and it was like, (laughs) just sound like a dying, wounded animal. And, uh, and so singing this morning is actually a real miracle. It's really, it's, I was just like blown away even as I was there. I was like, this is amazing. So we live in a prophetic land. And I tend to think that the scripture that talks about the many parts of the body, you know, you're a fingernail and um, you're an elbow or whatever else. Uh, we, we read everything so individualistically, don't we? We often go, yeah, well, I'm, I'm the leg and you're the calf muscle if I had them. And... Um, whatever it might be, but I often think that nations are also a reflection of this, that Aotearoa is a, uh, has a part of the body that Aotearoa alone can play. That, you know, and I get the sense, even so my times in India, I had this distinct sense of they have this incredible strategic mastermind thing that sits over there. Everyone's got a hustle. Everyone's got a way of making a way, right? And so, the churches over there are blowing up all the time. They're strategically brilliant in how they lay out their plans, their theology, and their thinking. When in my time in Burundi and in Congo, I lived there for a while. I was, uh, could not help but recognize the power that the continent of Africa had to give in terms of faith. They are unrivaled, unmatched with faith. And then you think about China when it comes to prayer. Unbelievable. They're the prayer warriors that come out of that space. And all in that, I think that what Aotearoa offers to the world is a prophetic sound, a sound of understanding where God has been in order to understand where God is going. So let's take a little trip down, not memory lane, because most of you won't know these stories. A long, long time ago, pre-colonization, on the East Coast, there's a guy called um, Toiro Ikariki, a profoundly incredible prophet. He Here's Wairua Tapu speak to him about the coming of settlers. Now, he'd never seen any of the things that he did. He began to weave hats. He weaved pants. He uh, got a mussel shell and ate the mussel and then put soil in it, got, a little, got two little sticks out of the fire, blew out the flame, put them inside the soil, and then out of that, he had the picture of a steamship things that he'd never seen before, like amazing, eh? That he was seeing the coming of all of this. And he says this, he says that, that there, there is the coming of this God and he's a good God, however, the people will remain oppressed. It's kind of like not, not the coolest prophetic word that you've ever heard, eh? There's a good God and he's coming, but the people are gonna suffer. Hmm, all right. Now, out of him came another distinct prophet, Tekorti, and so on and so on. Now, the whole measuring and way of understanding uh, the spirit realm, Māori were far advanced than any settlers that had ever come. They were operating all the time, looking for signs and symbols and things that creation might be speaking and that God might be saying, right? So they were already looking all of the time. And so the way that God enters into Aotearoa predominantly and powerfully is through prophets, and it's through the speaking voice and the miraculous signs and signs and wonders. There's a story about Ratana from Wanganui who gathered together all of these 
Um, Tohunga priests for the worst translation ever. And he pulls them together and he says, so you know that I'm talking about the, the God of all things. And he points to this tree and all these different starts, types of fruit start falling off the tree. And there's about 500 um, tohunga there and they were all just like totally blown away. Signs, wonders, miracles pervaded Aotearoa. And it was necessary in order for people to see and understand the power of God. I'm going to take a slight detour. So I'm in Africa as an 18-year-old. And for those of you that have heard this story, I apologize. But I'm there in a church, about 7,000 people. It's monstrous. And uh, I'm really excited about the worship. I've heard so many things about African music. And I get there, and the first song that they sing is Shout to the Lord. Who yeared that? Was that you? You're going to be the first up here repenting, all right? So I'm in the middle of Africa, Burundi, tiny nation, and I'm listening to, to Hillsong, watching people in suits going, this is not what I thought. And so they sing this song and they dance like, even like white people, there's like the side to side clap, like, you know, just like, oh man, this is not that awesome. And then the next song, one of the guys comes out and he sings, and then they start, like it's crazy, booty shaking and clothes are flying and people are like dancing up and down the aisles. And it was one of the clearest examples to me of what happens when people engage with the first story of a land. What happens when people engage with identity and story of land. Now see, Hillsong draped over the top of their story didn't work. As long as a second story tries to replace the first one, identity crisis forever. It happens. The power of colonization has caused identity crises for everyone, not just for indigenous communities. Everyone suffers under the weight of that. So in our community, I came back from Africa going, we're doing that. We're singing songs that are not ours. We're doing church in the way that's not ours. We're disconnected from story. And in fact, we have no idea what God's been doing in this land. All we know is that the people that we follow live in Australia, America, and England, and that's who we're going to chase after, and they're the ones with all the theology, and they're the ones with all the methodology. They're the ones with all the wisdom, and so they're the ones we're going to look to. And in the midst of all of that, we're going to forget and miss the presence of God for hundreds of years in this land, pre-colonization as well. We started to find out about people like King Tafio. Ratana, Te Fiti and Tohu, Te Manihere and Kiriopa, who were from Taranaki. They had a, there was a feud between Taranaki and Tuwharetoa, which is in the Taupo kind of area. And uh, they received the message of Jesus. They went back to Taupo in order to apologize for um, warfare that had happened before, the warfare of their fathers. And they knew that they were going to die. So they went there and they didn't even make it into the gates and uh, they were slaughtered. And out of that, the gospel flowed. And we have these beautiful stories and these beautiful heroes and these beautiful sayings and these beautiful people. And we are still not aware that God has been doing a work before us long, long, long before us. Walter Brueggemann says this, that the task of the prophet is to help people re-engage with history and story. 
And we've become so dis- disconnected from the story of this land, from the hurt, the betrayal, and worse, the church has been amongst the biggest uh, culprits that saying, just move on in Christ Jesus. Well, let's just check that theory for a second. If we moved on in Christ Jesus, does that mean that we just forget 2,000 years of church history? Or should we move on from the Bible as well? Many of us are, hey, already just disconnecting from that. Well, that's old. We need to move on from that too. And if moving on was the answer, then why did Jesus, thousands of years later, need to come back and make something right, that make humanity's sin right? If that's the picture of moving on, that's the picture that I want. But what a culture that has not understood the value and the promise and the principle of land, has not understood the pain and the suffering of indigenous communities, and has done much of it in Jesus' name, have said, move on. I think about Jesus when he says, get back from me, Satan. The church has often done the work of the enemy and not the work of God in proclaiming to a people group that in their suffering, you guys need to forget about this and move on, even though you're going to continue to live in the pain and the mummy of all of this, even though you're going to statistically have worse health, worse jobs, all of these things. You know, I go to Kmart since I got married because I can't afford to go anywhere else now, and uh, my wife goes there, and we enter in together, and she goes that way, and I go that way, and she gets followed by security guards, and I don't. People watch, will follow her the whole way around. But we, you know, we're all one. We're all the same in New Zealand, right? We all have the same story. Not quite. See, here's the thing about land. Have you ever thought about why God had, promised, had a promised land for Israel? Not just, I've put promises in you, but a promised land, a location. The whole time, he's trying to push people to get to a certain spot. Because he had promises not just in them, but in that soil, in that space and land, he had promises that resided in there from which only their presence on that could activate those promises, right? So let's talk about land confiscation. When you take land off people, you disconnect people from promise. When you disconnect someone from promise, you disconnect them from hope. And hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so land confiscation has been met with, well, no one owns land, it's all gods and all of these types of things, but yet we find a a directly opposite narrative in Scripture. And do you know why it is that we're able to say those things? Because Westernism and even elements of white supremacy have resided within and married, unfortunately, much of the Christian narrative, and we've been unaware of it. And so there's been this ugly marriage that has resulted in the diminishing of many people. And so churches have come up with things like, it's about kingdom culture. It's not about individual culture. Well, you know what? Those types of sayings are the very things that diminish people's identity. Those types of sayings are a way of saying, we're going to find a way to continue on the dominant stereotypical, dominant cultured way of doing things without changing anything by calling our culture the kingdom of heaven. Now, If you were to ask minority cultures within those spaces, well, is this kingdom culture? I wonder if many of them would want to go to heaven. They're so without voice, without expression, without identity. But this is kingdom culture, right? And we're all one, right? A good friend of mine, Cindy Duakere, she was in church and uh, someone came up to her afterwards and they said, you know, Cindy, we're all one in Christ Jesus, which is using scripture out of context. 
And she said, okay, well, whose version of one are we? Mine or yours? And the person did like the moonwalk backwards, you know, like, oh, I haven't thought about that. And it's confronting. I had someone come up to me and said, are we becoming a, a Maori church? And I said to them, well, what are we now? And is this better? And because at that point we were predominantly Pākehā, we still actually are predominantly Pākehā church. And uh, the person was like confronted by the sense of, I've never actually thought about this, but I'm boldly proclaiming these statements. Have you, you recognize that? When people boldly proclaim something that they've never taken two minutes to think about. My uncle, he teaches builders about tetiriti or waitangi, believe it or not. So he gets into the setting with all these project managers up here in Auckland, and he says, right, we're going to talk about tetiriti. And what do the builders say? Oh, that blooming treaty, we're a waste of time. He says, cool, who can tell me what one of the documents says? Not one person, not one strand of imagination or thought or even a good attempt at recognizing what tetiriti or waitangi says. And see, this is the story we've embedded within us a narrative of, oh, that stupid document, da 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 And even in the church, move on, move on, move on, even though the church is built on covenant. That document comes from covenant. And I feel you guys as a community have a remarkably large responsibility to all of this, actually, because of your uh, place in New Zealand's story, because of your place in New Zealand history, if things are going to happen, revival and all those types of things are going to happen, it's going to come when places like yourselves enter into this journey with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul. And I was reading history, and this traditionally was the full immersion service. St. Paul's at 9 a.m., there was a full immersion service. And I just thought, how amazing, that's in your bones. That's in your bones. Now, someone once said to me, whoa, does that mean we all have to become... Māori, and I said to them, do you think that that is possible? <laughs> right? Ask my, someone said to me once, you know, you're trying to be Māori, and I said, well, go tell my wife that, because every day she's like, oh, you're so white. Just <laughs> <laughs> fine. I am that I am. There's nothing wrong with our cultural identity, right? But we have to understand the baggage and the history and the privilege and the curse that is attached to our identity at times as well. Now, it's not possible for anyone to become more of anything that they are not. However, it is deeply possible for the Christian to be engaged with the story of Aotearoa, to find compassion in what God might be wanting to bring about, and to listen and read and learn before speaking out with absolutes about what should and should not happen, right? I... Uh, was driving in Palmerston North past a Samoan AOG church, and I looked at the sign. It was actually a, a friend of mine. His father was leading it at that time. And on that sign, it just said the very name of the church, and I drove past thinking, man, I don't like that it's got just like a sign that's basically saying, well, only Samoan people are welcome here. You know, I was young. This is just, anyway, forgive my ignorance. And anyway, God said this to me. He said, you know that every church has a sign, right? Just... Some are not as out the front as others, but every church has signs in the way that they greet, in the way that they sing, in the way that they welcome, in the way that they eat, in the way that they talk, in the way that they teach. Every church has a sign about who's welcome. And I was struck by it, going, oh man, God, show us, show me what the signs are in my community. Show me the things that tell people you are not welcome here, or 
your, um, your way of thinking or your way of operating is not welcome here. And so we've gone on this giant journey trying to understand what God might be wanting to bring about in New Zealand. And the only way to understand that is to understand what God was trying to bring about in Māori. And Māori, as the first story, the older brother of this land, the only way that revival will happen in Aotearoa is if it first goes through them. The first inheritors, the first claimers of the promise of God in Aotearoa. It is the right thing, and it is the right way. Now, often when I say that, I have the response of, well, what about me? Only in the kingdom of God does death equal life. The laying down, there's no greater love for this than to lay your life down for your brother. Yet we've forgotten that, right? Because the colonial, um, um, the colonial imagination is take, take, take. But the gospel is give, give, give. Surrender, surrender, surrender. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Love, love, love. And somehow they've colonial way of being and the church gospel has fused and had an ugly marriage from which the thought of laying our lives down or laying our imagination or our power or anything like that down to see Māori take their rightful place is almost like, and in fact, some of you, even as I say this, are just kind of squirming like, oh, that is ridiculous. There's a a political party that ran for for government and they said that they had Judeo-Christian values and the first thing that they wanted to do was to get rid of te tiriti or waitangi. Judeo-Christian values, let's get rid of a founding covenant that has come through the church. Huh, good, because we don't believe that any, any community should have more power than another. Okay, well, let's talk about that then. Communities that have more power than others. There's this great odd narrative that's gradually beginning to die as the years go on. But God is wanting to form a new imagination in the church. He's wanting to form a new imagination in us about his heart and his passion for reconciliation. And I'm sure I've got like one or two minutes left. Yeah. Uh, And so uh, this is so difficult to pack in everything that needs to pack in, but I want to lay at least some level of confrontation so that you can go and have a continual conversation because I know that what Jesus did on the cross wasn't just for a moment, but it was to continue to give life day in and day out, day in and day out. So too, the ministry of reconciliation is not a decision we make in a moment, but a posture that we live every single day. And I want to ask you guys as a community, what is God leading you to in the ministry of reconciliation and trying to lean into God's original intentions for Aotearoa? You have a building that speaks of that original intent. Let it speak to you. Let it speak to you. Let it speak to you. Let's pray. Father, we are just amazed at what you can pull together. We are amazed, Lord Jesus, that your hands, Lord, are able to reconcile and restore even the most broken things. I want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to heal our land, that you continue to heal the story, that you would continue to heal relationships. And I want to pray for St. Paul's, for this whare, for your intentions, God, your intentions for Māori and your intentions for those that came after. I want to ask, Lord Jesus, that you would speak truth over this community again and again and again, that you would remind them of their distinct and different responsibility uh, to Māori and to the reconciliatory story. 
We ask in Jesus' name that your will be done. Lord, that if, if, if um, laying lives down, sacrifice and surrender is necessary, I pray would you find willing hearts and minds in this place, people that are ready to raise their hands and say, me, I give my power. Me, I give my intent. Me, I give my passion away. I give it away. I give it away. We commit all of these things, things that are bigger than us, things that are not solvable by the individual. We present them into your arms and trust you with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Tēnā koutou.